Last week, we began a, uh, a new sermon series looking at the great stories of the Bible and were reminded afresh of just why they're so great. Man, it's in these stories that we see our great God. It's in these stories that we learn great lessons for life. It's in these stories, maybe so importantly, that we learn what it looks like to walk greatly with God. Now, as I refer to them as stories and something that we learn from, I don't mean to imply that they're made up stories just for the purpose of of teaching a lesson. Rather, these are, are absolutely true historical stories as communicated in Scripture, accurately communicated in the Word. And they are there for us. God recorded these things for us to communicate this to us. Last week, we looked at uh, Noah and the Ark. And we remember a couple of the great lessons from that. We learned that God can, He does ask sometimes the unthinkable. God can and does ask sometimes the unpleasant. We also saw last week that as God's judgment and, and wrath came on a sinful world and He provided for Noah that ark, He's provided the same for you and I. Because again, one day again, God's wrath and judgment will fall on this sinful world. And just as Noah climbed into the ark, you and I have the opportunity by faith to climb into the cross. That's our place of protection when God's judgment comes. Well, today we come to look at maybe what would be arguably one of the most favorite stories of the Bible. The story of David and Goliath. We love this story. I think, I think the human soul is drawn to it because we like an underdog story, don't we? We, we like to see the underdog win. And I think we like that because when we watch that, we think, you know, maybe I could. Maybe I would be able to. It encourages and inspires. But I'll tell you something. I'm not sure David knew he was an underdog. I, I think if you'd have talked to David that morning and said, hey, David, what do you think about the odds of this fight? He'd say, I know what you're talking about. The odds are stacked pretty heavy against Goliath. I like uh, famous radio preacher uh, Chuck Swindoll. I'm sure some of you are familiar with him. He wrote a book uh, called David uh, on his life and obviously has a chapter on the story of David and Goliath. And he he entitles the chapter David and the Dwarf. And I think, folks, as we study this passage today, you're going to see why he came to that conclusion. So let's begin looking at this great story and what God has for us in it. Would you look with me to 1 Samuel? 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we've got some in the chairs in front of you, around you. If you can't reach it, I know somebody will hand you one. 1 Samuel 17. It's about nine books, I think, into the Old Testament. Get past Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and you'll land in Samuel. You get to Kings, you've gone too far. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to begin reading in verse 3. 1 Samuel 17 verse 3. It says, the Philistines were standing on one hill, the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall, and wore a bronze helmet and a bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins and a bronze sword was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam, and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield-bearer was walking in front of him. He stood and he shouted to the Israelite battle formations, 
Why do you come out to line up in a battle formation? He asked them. Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and they were terrified. Look at verse 16. Every morning and evening for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand. Now, these verses I just read kind of give us the, the setting of our story. If you look at verse 1, it tells us that we are in the valley of Elah. Uh, if you go there today, don't imagine a small place or a little valley. It's more like a canyon. It's a canyon about a mile wide. So if you're in the bottom of the ravine, down in the center of this, then imagine or kind of see about a half mile slope upwards in a hill this direction and about a half mile slope upwards in that direction. And of course, thousands of soldiers scattered out on these hills. This is where we are. We got the good guys on one side, the Israelites, and we got the, the bad guys, the Philistines, on the other now, our story first introduces us to the, to the champion of the bad guys. You know him as Goliath. He comes out and the passage tells us, and you see things in some of your translations may say cubits or spans. The translation I read kind of translates for us into nine feet, nine inches. A little bit rare. You, you don't always see a nine-nine guy. I mean, where was the NBA? Man, did they miss their chance. You know what's interesting to me about this, though, is... It states that he's 9-9 in one simple sentence and then goes on and for quite a few more lines, look in your scripture there, it's describing everything the guy's wearing. I mean, he's got like 125 plus pounds of armor on. He's carrying a spear that just the tip of the spear weighs 15 pounds. I, I, I think what the scripture is wanting us to see, man, when you look at Goliath, you need to imagine this is a tank. And I'm not being a metaphor here. This is a giant tank. This is a war machine coming at you. You see this guy coming and you know this is, this is going to be bad. This, this is going to leave a mark. And so no wonder it says, man, they saw that. They're scared to death. They're terrified of him. And so he makes this challenge. Pretty simple challenge. You send out your best guy. We'll fight to death. Winner takes all. And nobody, I mean, there's thousands of soldiers here and not one of them wants any of this action. Not one of them is willing to step forward. And then it says that, that Goliath comes out and he issues this challenge for 40 days. Now that, that seems to me a little bit confusing. I'm thinking, why 40 days? I'm surprised somebody didn't force the issue before then. Why didn't Goliath just walk up into the center of their camp and, and pick a fight with somebody? I don't know why, but it says it goes on for 40 days, twice a day. Now, that that actually is kind of real because that's that's what giants do, don't they? They show up day after day. They are loud day after day. You are reminded day after day that you've got this imposing, impossible situation in your life. Day after day, you are reminded there is nothing I can do about that. Have you had a Goliath in your life? Maybe you have one right now. A, a, a person 
It could be a situation. It could be a challenge. It could be at work, at school, at home. Anything that is showing up in your life every day saying, you can't do anything about this. Maybe your Goliath is like this one right here, a freak of nature who grows up in your life just to make you miserable. But what if God allowed that giant to grow in your life? To show you what he could do through you if you trust him. What if God allowed that giant? Because that would be your great opportunity to see God. Your great opportunity to know God might be in that giant. Now. 10 to 15 miles away from the valley of Elah, we have a, a little village. I think you've heard of it before, Bethlehem. No, we're not switching to the Christmas story. Bethlehem existed before then. This is about a thousand years before the Christmas story. And in the village of Bethlehem, there's a man named Jesse. And Jesse has eight boys. Three of his oldest boys, his three oldest, are, are on this hill somewhere. They're soldiers out there on the hillside. They're a part of the greatly terrified and dismayed. I'm not going out there for that. Now, his youngest son is a, is a young teenage kid. We know him as David. Let's look now and learn a little bit about him. Turn to verse 17. It says, One day Jesse had told his son David, Take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Also, take these ten portions of cheese to the field commander. I, I love that little tidbit of information right there. And it's just nothing like watching a dad kind of grease the wheel for his kids. It says, check on the, the welfare of your brothers and bring confirmation from them. They're with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded up and set out as Jesse had instructed him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Now, I love that verse too, here, this verse here also. Here you got an army. They're marching out in formation. They're shouting a battle cry so that they can do absolutely nothing the rest of the day. And you talk about going through the motions. Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation facing each other. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster. Any quartermaster in here? None at all? Fort Lee? Thank you. We all remember Fort Lee? Little okay, never mind. Um, just you and I know what we're talking about here. <laughs> when he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and he shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him terrified. Previously, an Israelite man had declared, Do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. Now remember, that the reward's been offered every day for 40 days. So I'm guessing Saul's daughter's no prize. The king will also make the household of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. Verse 26, David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? 
Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people told him about the offer, concluding, this is, that is what will be done for the man who kills him. David's oldest brother, Eliab, listened as he spoke to the men, and he became angry with them. Why did you come down here, he asked? Who, who did you leave those few sheep of yours with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down here to see the battle. What have I done now? protested David. It's just a question. Then he turned from those beside him to the others in front of him, and he asked about the offer. The people gave him the same answer as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, so he had David brought to him. David said to Saul, Don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, You can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. That's a nice way of saying you're just a punk kid. And he's been a warrior since he was young. Jesse asks his youngest son, David, to take some supplies to the front lines for his brothers. David makes sure the sheep are taken care of because that's what he is. He's not a soldier. He's a, he's a shepherd. So he makes sure that his chores are taken care of. And, and then he does what his father asked. And he runs this errand carrying the supplies to the front lines. Well, when he gets there, Goliath, you know, Goliath's doing his thing. And he is absolutely blown away. He cannot believe that this guy is defying God. That, that he's defying God's people. He can't believe nobody's doing anything about it. As a matter of fact, do you notice here in, in verse 25 to, what, down verse through the end of verse 28, 29, it keeps going kind of back and forth about this reward. That the reward is announced, and then David says, now what about the reward? And, and, and then they go somewhere else, and then it comes back, and David says, now what about the reward? It does that three times. It's kind of confusing. Let me tell you something. David's not trying to get clarity on what he gets. David is shocked that a reward is needed. You're kidding me. Y'all are talking about a reward? This guy is defying God. We ought to go down there and whoop him because it's right. Not because we're going to get a reward. And so, you know, imagine. Now, this is, uh, don't know his exact age. Let, let's say somewhere between, say, 14 and 16. You know, pimply-faced little kid running around. Among who? Seasoned soldiers. Warriors. And he's running around causing all this ruckus. And finally, his oldest brother, Eliab, you know, gets angry at him. A little sibling rivalry going on here. And I'm sure part of it is he's, he's embarrassed, you know. I mean, all these soldiers are his friends and his kid brother's running around causing all this problem. Or is Eliab embarrassed because his kid brother is saying and doing what everybody there should have already said and done? Well, whatever is going on, David is catching up with all this and figuring out what is happening here. And word gets back to Saul. Saul finds out, hey, somebody's finally ready to do this. And, and so he says, bring, bring, the, bring the man to me. That's what he's expecting. Now, Saul's excited. He's been offering a reward for 40 days. You know why he's offering a reward? Because he's too scared to be down there taking care of what he was supposed to be doing. I know some of y'all are familiar with 1 Samuel. Do you remember when we're introduced to Saul? Do you remember how he's described? He's a man that is head and shoulders above everybody else. Saul is a big man. Saul is a seasoned warrior. Saul has the anointing and presence of God with him. But man, what a powerful statement right there. God can be with you, but if you've got no faith, it makes no difference at all. 
And so Saul is in hiding. He's scared. He's not going out there and fighting him. He's back in the royal tent. And he finally hears, somebody's going to take this guy on. And so, so they bring David to him. So imagine, you know, you're in your, your makeshift throne and, and, and you've got the royal tent set up out there and you're expecting to see, you know, I mean, obviously the kind of guy who would want to take Goliath on and they bring in David. A little bit of a comic moment. Now remember, it's not usually a good idea to make the king angry. You know, I'm thinking, I'm king, somebody's losing their head right here. You, re- you think I'm in the mood for a joke? You bring me a kid? I, I mean, clearly that's how Saul looked at him. He- 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 David comes in and says, hey man, I got this. No problem. I'll take him on. And, and Saul says, you're-, you're kidding me, man. You can't do this. You- you're just a kid. Now, folks, let's-, let's just take a quick tally of what's going on in David's day. He wakes up and, and he makes sure that his chores are done. That's good, right? No parents in the room, obviously. Okay, he's made his bed. He made sure everything was covered. That's good. Moms, isn't it? Okay, so he's doing good. His dad sends him on an errand. He goes and he runs the errand. He's being obedient at every, every step of the way. That's good. Then he gets out there. And here's this guy defying and mocking God. And David is offended to the point of action. That's good, isn't it? Everything David is doing here is good. So what does he get for it? Well, his brothers are angry at him and the king doubts him. Not exactly the encouragement you were hoping for when you're when you're trying to be and do what you're supposed to be and do. But I want you to notice, folks, a very important lesson here. Notice David doesn't get sidetracked. You cannot beat a giant. When you're fighting unnecessary battles. You know what? His brothers, the king, they should have been more supportive. They should have been more encouraging. But you know what? David doesn't crawl off into a corner and pout. Nobody loves me. Nobody will help me. He he, he doesn't engage them in debate and argument. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't start to fight them. He doesn't make them the enemy. Folks, I want to tell you something. Most of us If not, everybody in this room fought an unnecessary battle this week. You engaged in a battle you didn't need to be. There's nothing to gain in that. You're not going to defeat giants doing that. You're not going to see the greatness of God in unnecessary battles. Let's read on. Look at verse 34. David answered Saul. Remember, Saul's just told him you can't do this. So this is David's response Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. I mean, David is saying, hey, guys, this is just business as usual. There is no big deal here. Verse 37 Then David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, all right, go. May the Lord be with you. I mean, really, do you think he said that as if he meant it? It's It's your death sentence. Verse 38. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. 
He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. I can't, I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Now, folks, what, this is an incredible verse. Remember where he's going. He's going into battle against a, a war machine. Instead, he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the wadi, and, and folks, wadi is what it says. You know, different translations will translate the word a little bit different. You might say river or ravine. Uh, I said wadi in the last sermon, in my, in the last sermon and my, my daughter came out and made fun of me because she doesn't think I know the word for river, okay? But in my translation, it's wadi, W-A-D-I. And y'all could care less. And so he put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. You know what amazes me about about David throughout this entire story from the moment you're introduced to him all the way through the end, which we haven't gotten to yet. David never shows any fear. You see that as a matter of fact, it's it's more than just that he doesn't show fear. He never even hesitates. Never a moment of, okay. let me get geared up for this. I mean, it's almost like, David, are you are, are you saying what everybody else is saying? It's almost like he doesn't see the giant. And that's because David doesn't see a giant. Because for David, there's nothing bigger than God. Folks, in the Valley of Elah in 1000 BC, there was nothing bigger than God. And guess what? That's just as true today. In 2010, wherever you're going to be this week, whatever you're going to be dealing with, there's not going to be anything bigger than God. And what this story and what David's life is showing us is what it looks like when somebody actually believes it. Now, you know what? I believe that. And you believe that. Man, I want to believe that. I want to believe there's, there's, there's nothing bigger than God. It's easy to believe in here, isn't it? But then we go out there into the world and what happens? We forget. Why do we forget? Because giants pop up. Uh, the, the giant of rejection, the giant of an enemy, the, the giant of, of problems in our marriage, the giant of finances, the, the giant of a lost job, the giant of, of some kind of challenge that has no answer to it as far as you can tell. These giants pop up in our lives and all of a sudden that's all we see. That's bigger than everything else. And the soldiers show us what happens there. You're dismayed and terrified and that's how you live. But see, for David, there was nothing bigger. Now, how? How, how, how did David maintain it? Is this just having a, a positive attitude? Is this just nothing than trying to have a, a certain perspective on life? No, folks, this is truth. And the way that David anchored his life into this truth, we see it right here in verse 37. Then David said, the Lord who rescued me. You know how David never forgets? That there's nothing bigger in life than God. By daily being with God. Folks, this passage right here is showing you and I the absolute importance of daily spending time in God's word, daily giving thanks, daily giving praise. You see what happens when I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is I spend time in God's word. I'm reminded because I forget. And so do you. I'm reminded, man, God's big. 
God's great. God's got this thing under control. And when I stop and I give him thanks, I'm acknowledging. I'm acknowledging his victories in my life over there. He protected me over there. He provided for me over there. He guided me. And when I praise him, when those praises come out of my mouth, I'm magnifying God in my own heart, in my own mind and soul. Folks, your mind does not naturally go to the greatness of God. Where your mind naturally wanders is to your losses, to your disappointments, to your discouragements, to your hurts. We have to choose. We have to choose to see the greatness of God. And we do that by putting ourselves daily in this word, by putting ourselves in a place of giving praise and thanksgiving. You're not going to make that choice without spending that time with him each day. Folks, do you realize that when David woke up? Do you realize what kind of day he was heading into? You know, folks, have you have you woke up Tuesday? Teachers, administrators, man, we knew today's going to be a big day. And about three o'clock, the emails are going to come flying in with everything that's wrong. And the students are getting I mean, we all know that man, a big meeting, a big appointment. A big opportunity. We know this big thing is coming. And so we're getting prepared. This is it. David wasn't preparing for a big day, folks. David was taking bread and cheese to his brothers. Not exactly a big agenda day. And yet it was a day that would define his life. And he was ready. You know why he was ready? Because David spent time with God. David spent time out there taking care of those sheep all by himself, praising and giving thanks and seeing the greatness of God. As a matter of fact, he wrote a lot of it down. We call it the Psalms. He was ready. Were you were you ready when you left the house this morning? Were you ready when you left the house any particular day this week or? How about this week ahead? Will you be ready? I like this verse here, verse 38. Remember, verse 37, Saul has said, go, good luck with you, man, it's your death sentence. Now, imagine Saul's sitting here in his in his little makeshift throne. He's in the in the royal tent and he's just said, OK, good luck, go get him. And, and I'm imagining that as David kind of walks through the door, maybe there's a silhouette there and it just comes to Saul's mind all of a sudden. I have just sent a child to the slaughter. And and a little wave of guilt comes over him. And so he says, David, come come back here. Come over over here. Here, you can take all my stuff that I'm not wearing and using down there in the battle. Here, here, you, here, put on all my stuff. Remember, Saul's a huge guy. David's a teenage boy. He puts it on. Can you you know the, 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 the little boy in his father's suit? I mean, it doesn't fit. It's not going to work. Folks, I'm going to tell you something right there is one of the most profound lessons. I think almost in Scripture, not not just this story. You know what David shows us right here? You're not going to beat giants trying to be something you're not. You're not going to beat giants trying to be something you're not. Now, you may not be very impressive. The world may not be applauding you. You may not intimidate when you walk into the room. But do you think David was impressive right here? 
It might be more impressive. I might look like I should be doing this if I had all this armor on. But that's not how he went into battle. He was wearing the shepherd's clothes, carrying a stick and stones. It's it's what I am. But you know what? It doesn't matter what you are if you're with God. It doesn't matter what your strengths, abilities, your impressiveness, that none of that matters when you're walking with God. How many times when we're fighting giants do we think, I've got to make myself a giant. I've got to become something big. I've got to be something that I'm really not. It's not going to help. Let's read the verses we came here for. Look at verse 41. The Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a, a youth, healthy and handsome. You know what the verse is saying right here? He was saying, oh, look at him. He's just a cute little fella. He's just a little guy. Look, he's got his little stick. <laughs> Except it actually kind of irritates Goliath. Look what he says. He said, verse 43, he said to David, am I, really, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. And folks, let's just do a quick summary again of where we are. David is in the valley of Elah. It's a canyon. Goes a half a mile each direction. Soldiers all over. Thousands of soldiers all over these hills. In front of him is a war machine named Goliath. His brothers are angry at him. The king doubts him. And the enemy is mocking him. Are you intimidated? I mean, this you think about it, in this scene right here, in this picture right here, David is about the smallest thing there is in this entire picture. Have you ever been intimidated when you when you arrive somewhere, when you went into a place and you're just like, oh, my gosh, I mean, forget the enemy. You've just been intimidated by a setting, by a place you were. Then add the enemy. How small David must feel. Except that he doesn't look at verse forty five. David said to the Philistine, you come against me. Remember what Philistine said? You come against me with a stick. You come against me with a dagger, spear and a sword. Well, I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel's armies. You have defied him today. The Lord will hand you over to me today. I will strike you down. This is the rated R part. Okay, just a little warning. I'm going to cut off your head. I'm going to give the corpses of this entire army to the birds of the sky and the creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword. It is not by spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will hand you over to us. I'm guessing David's not feeling small right there. I don't think he's scared or doubtful or wondering or anything. You know, man, you read that and you think, where in the world? Where does that come from? That, that kind of power, that, that kind of confidence, the ability to take that kind of stand in this absolutely overwhelming, intimidating situation. Well, folks, he told you where it comes from. I'm with God. And this thing right here, this is his, not my problem. I mean, as we're saying to Goliath, you're not my problem. God's going to take care of you. And I'm with him. Folks, do you realize in this moment right here, 
David possesses absolutely nothing that you don't possess. Do not turn David into some kind of hero of Scripture. Some kind of super saint. You know, there's the the David and the Moses and the Paul. You know, this select few. Uh Uh-uh. David has nothing in this moment right here. Not spiritually, not physically, not emotionally, not mentally. David possesses nothing right here that you don't have. Except that he really believes it. This is God's. And I'm with him. Pretty awesome, isn't it? One last lesson. Well, first, yeah, he did kill him, by the way. (laughs) Forgot that little detail. You know, he slung the slung the rock. The rock hit him in the head. I don't think it's the rock that killed him. The rock dazed him, knocked him out. He fell down. David runs over, grabs his sword, kills him, does what he was going to do with his head there. And the army is defeated. The Philistine army is defeated that day. Now, the the Scripture does leave us with one last lesson in this story. We've just learned that Goliath is not a giant, haven't we? But there was one other person there that was also not a giant. David. David was not a giant. Folks, David didn't see this as his great opportunity to advance himself. David didn't see this as, oh my gosh, the the starting quarterback has just gone down. This is my chance to come in the game and win the position. This is the chance to put me forward. That's how we think. That's how we tend to look at things. How can I survive this? How can I be made in this? How can I become the giant? But we know from David's words right here at the end of verse 46 why he's doing this. He didn't say, I'm taking you on so that I'll be seen as the giant. He said, I'm doing this so that all the world will know Israel has a God. See, for David, there's only one giant. And only he is going to be magnified. Don't be the giant. Don't try to become a giant. Whatever you're doing, do that and be that so that God is exalted. Folks, I believe, I don't know if this is a fact, Scripture doesn't say this, but I believe that when David walked away from that day, when he walked away from that battle, I don't believe he walked away going, what a miracle! What a miracle! No, it wasn't a miracle. David said, I woke up with a giant of a God. And I'm going to bed with a giant of a God. This stuff in between. Just more evidence of what I already knew. Let's close real quickly uh, with lessons from the Valley of Elah. Last week it was lessons from the ark. A couple of quick summary statements from the lessons from the Valley of Elah. Number one, God allows giants Because they are our opportunity to see how big he is. Now, that's a mindset, isn't it? What if I started looking at those problems, at those challenges, at those things I'm scared of, at those things I hate? What if I started looking at those as my best opportunity to see how great God is? Number two, you can't defeat a giant if you're fighting unnecessary battles. And folks, the only way I'd tell you how to know what's unnecessary is the more time you spend in this word 
And the more time you spend praying for wisdom and discernment, you'll know very clearly what the unnecessary battles are. Number three, nothing is bigger than God. That's a reality. The reason I put that there, folks, this isn't positive thinking. I'm not saying let's just trump up a little idea in our mind and then go running out in the world. Nothing's bigger than my God. No, folks, that's the truth. I've got to anchor my life to that truth. Nothing can become bigger in my mind than that truth. And number four tells us how that's going to happen. I need to daily rehearse the victories through praise, through thanksgiving, and through reading God's Word. That's how I'm going to see the bigness, the greatness, and the goodness of God. Look at number five. We are not going to defeat giants trying to be something that we're not. Number six, we have God and the battle is His. Man, let me tell you something. Everything you're dealing with, that's God's. That's God's opportunity. That's God's problem. That's God's challenge. And I'm with Him. Number seven, don't try to be the giant. You know, folks, I think if you're American, you think that's the goal of life. The goal is that I get bigger. The the, the goal is that I get wealthier. The goal is that I get more successful. The goal is that I get more, more, more until I'm a giant. Make your life about one thing, the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Your life is the opportunity for everybody around you to see not how big you are. What does somebody have if they see how big you are? Absolutely nothing. But let them see how big God is in you. And they might possibly have eternal life. Let me say one more time. David woke up with a giant of a God. And he walked with that giant of a God through the day. Didn't know what the day was going to hold. Just thought I was running an errand today. And he went to bed that night with a giant of a God. Everything in between, just evidence. Will you be ready when you leave the house? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And God, we want that faith. God, I want to believe that there's nothing, nothing in this world bigger than you. Lord, when I'm in this room, when I'm in this house and and we're loving on each other and having Bible studies and, and listening to messages, man, God, it's easy. It's easy in here to believe there's nothing bigger than you. But God, we're going to go out into that world and things are going to start popping up. And some of those things feel like and look like giants. God, would you give us the discipline to start preparing ourselves every day? Call us to yourself. May we go to bed early so we can get up early and be in your word. Spend time giving you thanks and and giving you praise so that you are magnified in our lives. And no matter what pops up tomorrow, we'll know there's nothing bigger than God. And this is just my opportunity to see that. Oh, God, may that may that be true for me. May it be true for for every single one of us. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.